I would like to show you a newspaper page, March 7th, 1964. The title in the middle of the newspaper page, it's not even a headline, it's just on the front page but it's down low. It should have been, in my opinion, the main story, but it says, 37 who saw murder didn't call the police. I'll give you a little bit of a snapshot of what happened. The person in charge of the investigation was quoted in here as saying, as we have reconstructed the crime, he said, the assailant had three chances to kill this woman during a 35-minute period. He returned twice to complete the job. If we had been called the... When he first attacked, the woman might not be dead now. So understand how this played out. Back in 1964, one particular time period, a man attacked a woman unprovoked and stabbed her three times. She screamed, so he ran away. 37 people witnessed this occurrence. When he felt it was safe to go back and finish the job, he went back and stabbed her some more. She screamed again. People watched. Nobody called the police. 37 witnesses. So when he felt safe to go back and finish the job again, the third time, he stabbed her a few more times and she finally died. It took 35 minutes for him to finally kill her. And during that time period, no one helped. No one called the police. No one called the police until after she was already dead. Thought I'd throw that out there. <clears throat> In the book of Proverbs, we, we have a very familiar section and we refer to it as the Proverbs 31 woman. You've heard of this? Women who want to try to be a godly woman oftentimes will go to Proverbs 31 and read the wisdom contained within. It's an interesting thing to me in that it's a proverb that God inspired to be written, obviously. But these are the words of King Lemuel, not of Solomon. God inspired Solomon to write these words down. But the words of King Lemuel didn't originate with him. It says at the beginning of Proverbs 31, he learned these words from his mother. God inspired a mother to teach her son godly wisdom. And she did it. And ultimately God saw fit that we all Get the wisdom that came out of her mouth. Part of it says this in verses 8 and 9, Open your mouth for the mute, to those who can't speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. We are supposed to defend those who can't defend themselves. That's wisdom. You may have heard the phrase, silence is approval. There is so much truth to that. The way it plays out sometimes is someone will share something with someone else, and what they're sharing is sensational and outrageous. But the person hearing it doesn't believe it, and they say nothing. 
So the person that's saying it thinks the other person's agreeing with them. Because silence is approval. If you don't say when you don't believe what you're being told, I don't believe that. You're enabling the other person to continue to perpetuate the outrageous whatever. Let me suggest to you that if you do not defend those innocently attacked, you are complicit, you are complicit in the attack. Last week, I introduced that we're going through a new series, and it's called Revelation Without the S. If you ever listen to anyone who claims to be an expert on the book of Revelation, and they call it Revelations, stop listening. Because nowhere in the book of Revelation does it call itself Revelations. It calls itself Revelation. The revelation of Jesus Christ to John the Apostle. That's what this is. It is not revelations. There's a whole lot of self-proclaimed experts out there. There's a whole lot of books out there on the book of Revelation. And I would suggest to you that your chances, if you go out there and pick one of them up, your chances are very high that it's a bunch of bunk. The vast majority of anything out there written on the book of Revelation is not in line with the book of Revelation. <clears throat> So what we're going to do here is we're just going to read through it and just believe it. How's that? Can we do that? Just read it and believe it. Works for me. You can see the series up behind me in its list. Last week, we went over the first church in the book of Revelation. There are seven churches addressed at the beginning. And if you need a shot in the arm of rekindling your passion for Jesus... You may want to get online on our Facebook page and listen to that message. It, I'm the one who preached it, and I listened to it again, and I got motivated. Uh, so I has, highly recommend it if you haven't done that. But today's message you can see in line on October 14th <clears throat> as the Seahawks are beating the Raiders. We go through Revelation chapter 2, verses 6 through 11. Rich is better way, rich in better ways. I want to tell you though, in that series, you can see if you can, you want to high, notice it says uh, that there's a note, there's a notes one and two on uh, coming up on um, uh, the 11th, November 11th. On that day, I will be not here. I will be gone, and Tim Taylor will be delivering the message. And when he does. Uh, that'll happen. I, I'm hoping he shares something with you. But I'll tell you about that in a minute. But Tim is one of the few that actually understands the book of Revelation. So listen when he preaches. It's going to be good. And talk to him and ask questions. Anytime you get a chance, he understands in times. But Tim's going to preach, and it's going to be on a special day. And, and I would say we fail as a church often in doing what we should be doing on these special days. It's Veterans Day weekend. And on Veterans Day weekend and any other military weekend, we encourage anyone associated with the military that used to have or currently has a military uniform and can still fit in it, wear it and worship with us. We will honor that. We will always respect and honor that. I don't care anytime you wear it. You want to wear it, wear it here. We will honor that. So please do. Uh, the message is not about Veterans Day or Veterans Day weekend, but we will honor those 
who have served. We, we always do. So I want to show you the seven churches listed up here, and you can see them on the map. Tim shared with me something last week that I found intriguing, and I don't remember. I, I preached through Revelation in 1995, a 30-message series, and it gained popularity, at least in some circles, so much so that Christian Audio Tapes was the name of a company. I don't even know if they still exist, but they mass-produced it and shipped it out all over the United States. And I've recently been asked to preach on Revelation or to lecture on Revelation to the preachers in Haiti. And I don't know if I'll get to do that this year or this next year or not. But Tim is, Tim shared with me something that is related to Vespasian. And I'm hoping that he has a way to figure out how to explain that to you when he's preaching. I'll let you do that (laughs) because it's pretty cool. But I want to tell you about Haley's Bible Handbook. That's the way you're supposed to say it. Uh, It looks like Halley, but it's a guy's last name. Raise your hand if you've ever heard of that. It's a good one. It's a really good one. He would be considered a liberal scholar in his day. But when he wrote about the book of Revelation in his handbook, he said this in one particular section. He said, "...prophecies that were fulfilled, then fulfilled in marvelous detail." In earlier editions, he specifically said, I will not say that the book of Revelation is about the fall of Rome, but I will say that it lines up perfectly with the history of the fall of Rome. The prophecies line up perfectly. And he's right. I'm telling you about the book of, uh, I'm telling you about Haley's Bible Handbook. I, I recommend you get it if you can. Here's one I found online. Today, you can get this on eBay for $419.99, if you dare. But you can also get a digital copy for $6.99, and I do recommend it if you get a chance. It's a good handbook. What it is is it goes all the way from Genesis to Revelation, and it basically gives you a synopsis of what's going on with each book in the Bible. It's good to have on your shelf. The title of the message today is Rich in Better Ways, from Revelation chapter 2, verses 8 to 11. I told you that before. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I showed you a slide. I'll show you again. Here it is. Colossians chapter 3, verse 2 is the verse this slide is based on. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. When you feel like things in this life are smothering you, like you just can't breathe anymore, remember what your focus is supposed to be on, and you can get through it. I share this slide with you only once today because our message that we get from this section in Revelation might help you do just that, to set your minds on things above. What's mentioned in the book of Revelation early on, I said, is seven churches. You can see in the chart behind me, I've only got two names. We spoke of Ephesus last week, the most influential church out of all seven. And then today we talk about Smyrna. Notice there is a plus and a minus. Ephesus is one of the churches that was told that they have to repent. They have to modify their behaviors. Smyrna is only one of two of the seven churches that is told basically, good job, keep doing what you're doing. So the ratio is two positive to five negative. Two churches are told, good job, keep doing what you're doing, and five churches are told, knock it off. You need to repent. And I would say that ratio might be close to what we have today. Many churches are off focus, probably the majority At least in New Testament times, the seven churches in Asia that are written to in Revelation, five of them 
we're struggling, and two, we're doing quite well. So we'll begin with our text in verse 8, Revelation chapter 2. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last, who died and came to life. There's a reason he, he was inspired to write this this way. Jesus said to write this to John, to the church in Smyrna. He spoke through the angel to do that. Verse 9, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. That's interesting. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. You should take that personally. I took a screenshot, something a family member, no one you know, no one who lives here, so I'm not outing them. A family member posted something on social media. This is it right here. If money is the root of all evil, why do they ask for it at church? People do this sort of thing because they think that they've got us. And that's why this was posted. Ha ha! Ha! Gotcha! You hypocrites! Let me show you what the scripture actually says. This is the, the verse this is talking about. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. It's the love of money. People frequently throw this around like they know what they're talking about. Money is a root of all evil. The Bible does not say that, nor does it even imply it. It's the love of money. And that is what hurts people. If we could get that principle, then we wouldn't be so caught up in so much greed. Now, I love Christmas. Just last night, do you realize we're not even in November, much less past Thanksgiving? Just last night, I watched a Christmas movie. So there. I love Christmas, but I don't love greed. There's a lot of greed associated with Christmas. I don't like that part. I love being able to be generous to people who are in need, and Christmas affords more opportunities for that. I love it. I love being able to give God glory and credit given secretly to people who are in need and are blessed, and they give give God all the credit. I love that. But greed is a thing that is really, really hurting people today find it interesting that people throw out these attacks against Christians and display their ignorance. But this church, look at verse 9 again. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. Isn't that interesting? I would say that in the history of this church, for the most part, throughout its history, we have been, and I realize there's several people missing this morning, but for the most part, most of the time, throughout our history, we've been a blue-collar church. Not a white-collar church. There are some churches that are mostly made of white-collar people. It takes all kinds. I would love, to, I would love it if it just, it just didn't matter, you know. But I would say we can relate to this church in poverty. Most of us, you know, we, we would fit in that. They are a poor people. There's so many books out there, though, that talk about Christians. You can't be a Christian if you're poor because God makes all Christians rich. Physically rich. People teach this stuff. you got to have faith. God, God will make you rich. Physically rich. Wealthy, they mean. Well, that can't be so because 
Here he's commending the church in Smyrna that's full of poor people. They're all poor. The church itself is poor. Financially, it is struggling. It's a poor church. Yet, spiritually speaking, they are rich. I hope you're tracking with what that means. Jesus spoke of a rich young man in Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 and following. You remember the story? The man walked away sad, and then Jesus put a cap on it. Because the man, the man was told that he has to be willing to let go of his stuff to be a part of Christianity. He's got to be willing to sacrifice anything and everything to be a part of Christianity. And so obviously the man struggled and he went away sad. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Maybe you've heard there are some scholars that believe the eye of the needle was a small gate. It was hard for a camel to get through that. Some say it was in the temple. It was in Jerusalem in the temple out, outer area, and it was hard for to get a camel through that gate, the eye of the needle. But the problem is, historically speaking, that it can't be proven. There's really no historical evidence that there was an eye of the needle gate. So we're left to look at what Jesus was saying as a, as a literal thing there in Matthew. <clears throat> Have you ever done that? You ever taken a thread and tried to put it in the eye of the needle? You ever done that? You ever misfire? You ever misfire over and over again and have to lick it? Come on! We've all done this. You know this, right? We've all done it. It's a funny thing. Like, it's usually that little scraggly little strand. It just keeps making you misfire. Ah, it's frustrating. Imagine trying to get a camel through a needle, through an eye of a needle. That is a joke. Jesus is being hilarious. Getting a hair through it is hard enough. Getting a, 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 a strand of string through it is hard enough, but a whole camel with that big hump on the back? Are you kidding me? It, that is so hard to imagine that happening. That's how hard it is for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. What's the kingdom of God? Jesus has been enthroned at the right hand of God as King of kings and Lord of lords. Christianity is the kingdom. If you are serving Him and living for Him, you're in the kingdom. Wonderful. But it's very hard for a rich person to embrace Christianity because they want to cling to stuff. It doesn't matter. They don't have to be raised during the Depression to want to cling to stuff. There are plenty of people today that are very greedy and they want to cling to their things. When it comes down to it, push and shove, they don't want to give that stuff up, even if it's for their own soul. <clears throat> I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Next verse continues. We'll take it in pieces here. The first part of verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Huh, seriously? Imagine you're this church. 
to Smyrna. He already says, I know your tribulation. You've been going through a lot. But good job, good job. But um, it's about to get worse. Well, that's not good news. Here's a portrait struggling. They've been going through all kinds of tribulation, and Jesus wants to send a letter to them that says, it's, it's going to get worse. I don't want to hear that. You want to hear that? Hey, I know you're going through a lot, but guess what? It's going to get worse. That's what he's saying. Wow. That's unpleasant. Let me, let me tell you about the kind of tribulations they've been going through just a little bit. You see, before this time, long before this time, one of the Roman emperors came into place. His name was Nero. Here's a, a bust of a, a figure of him. Um, you've heard of Nero, haven't you? He's a bad, bad guy. He was very, no, very well known for his extravagance. He bought lavish things all the time. He used the wealth that he had gained by being empowered. How he came in power was the Praetorian Guard put him in power. They loved him. <clears throat> and he's in power, and he's got... He's got so much wealth, and he just lavishes himself with so much wealth. You'd think he'd be happy, the ruler of the known world. And he, he went around trying to push down Christians. He wanted to eliminate Christians from the planet. Hated Christians. He was known for skewering Christians. Would take Christians and put them on these posts that were pointed, these tall posts, and take Christians alive and puncture them and slide them down those posts and just pile them up so people could see, you want to say you're a Christian? This is what's coming to you. This is what Nero ordered to be done. He's a wicked, wicked man, but he had everything at his disposal when it comes to money. He, was, he lived a very lavish lifestyle, was the ruler of the known world. But look at when he lived. Do you see this? You see he was born December 15th in the year 37. That sounds almost funny to say, doesn't it? So long ago. But he died June 9th in the year 68, at age 32, of suicide. He had learned that the Romans had labeled him the enemy of Rome. He didn't want to face the consequences of his sentence to death, so he committed suicide. He was not a happy man. And after Nero, well, Rome, if you remember, Daniel predicted the fall he, he predicted that God would establish his kingdom, and while he's establishing his kingdom, this would cause the crumbling of all other man's kingdoms. And during this time, Rome would be in charge. God would establish his kingdom, and this kingdom would crumble. And the final kingdom is the kingdom of Christ. Daniel predicted this, it's, and it's happening under Nero. And then there, was a, there were, was a long time of civil war. We don't even talk about the emperors typically during that time. But one stands out later, and his name is Domitian. He's the one that is actually the emperor during the time that John has given this revelation. Hmm. You see his birth and death date. He was assassinated. Some say, and I might agree with them, that Domitian was actually more evil than, than Nero. And the book of Revelation actually talks about each one of these emperors in great detail and actually numbers them. It's fascinating, but we're not going to get into that right now. I just wanted to show you that at this time, the church in Smyrna was being persecuted by, ver by their own government, by wicked people. Jesus mentioned something about this in John. 
Let me ask you a question. <clears throat> How many of you know, and don't, if you're in first service, you can't do this. It's not fair. Raise your hand if you know how many books John wrote. Raise your hand high if you know. One person knows, one person knows. How many would you say, Tim? How many would you say? Anybody else? Tracy, you were in first service. You can't do this. Five? Okay, three people guessed. One person was right. Thanks for guessing. Here's a handbook for you. You probably don't have. It's not Haley's. Our library has Haley's, last I looked. Here you go. Handbook for you. Oh, yeah, this one's probably better than Haley's. We'll give it away if you don't need it. <clears throat> the answer is five. John, first, second, and third John, and Revelation. <laughs> we, we give away stuff here. I don't know if you know our carnival this year. We're giving away a 65-inch flat-screen TV. We're also giving away a Sony PlayStation 4 Pro, one terabyte console. And, and we're giving away a couple of blenders and a crock pot and a whole bunch of other stuff. It's fun. You should come. But John it records Jesus saying in John 15, 18 and following. I want to read the whole thing, a little chunk of it at least. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will per also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word that is written in their law must be fulfilled. They hated me without cause. Maybe you feel that sometimes. The church in Smyrna certainly felt that. They felt hated. They were being persecuted. Jesus said, if they hated me, they'll hate you also. I, I don't know, if nobody's ever told you this, I'll tell you now. Being a Christian is not easy. The person that we choose to serve as Christians, the world rejected by killing him. And we're following him. Don't expect that your life is going to be all that rosy because he's the only perfect person that walked this planet and his life wasn't. Do you think you're better than your master? Expect the world will hate you too. And it will feel like there's no reason. But if you stand up for Christ, expect to be hated. You want, let, me, let me give it to you even clearer than that. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. But understand this, that in the last days, and last days doesn't always mean the end of the world, but in later times, or the last days, there will come times of difficulty. Do you feel it today? Maybe you're going to feel the whole thing. When I read this to you, see if it applies to today. For people will be lovers of self. Lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable. You ever met anybody that you just can't make happy? 
slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. But they're everywhere. For among them are those who creep. How would you like to be called a creeper? For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins, led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Johns and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as that of those two men." You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. I love that word. My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and in Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. I want you to pay careful attention to this one section. If you want to memorize one part of it, look at this. 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I know there's not very many of us, but I'll go ahead and do it. Would you identify, would you be able to say, I am one who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus? Yes. Raise your hand if that's you. Well, then brace yourself because you will be persecuted. That's what this says. I was teaching a Bible study, and I brought this up, and a senior citizen very much was disturbed by it because she said she had never been persecuted, and she'd been a Christian a long time. Let me tell you something. If you've been a Christian a long time and you haven't been persecuted, brace yourself. It's coming. Because if you desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you will be persecuted. That's what it says. This doesn't mean you're going to have difficult days. You know, you wake up with a headache or... Or, you know, the family's fighting again. Or there's other people not getting along. Or the finances, it's hard to pay the bills. Or the car broke down. Or health problems. That has nothing to do with persecution. Persecution is when people come after you because you're a Christian. That's persecution. And that's coming to you. If you actually really do desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Christianity is not easy. Do not fear what you are about to suffer, they're told. The second section here, verse 10, Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. Wow. How would you like to hear that? It's about to get worse. In fact, some of you are about to be thrown in prison. That's not good news. One of my favorite books, it, my favorite fiction of all fiction that I've ever read is The Philippian Fragment. It's, you see a picture of it behind me. It's probably more fascinating to people like me, who, preachers, who read historical books that are, uh, that are contemporaries of, of gospel writers and, and New Testament other writers. That, those are fascinating to me. I like to get the background and the culture of the times, and I don't get to talk about it with you very much. It just helps me in my studies so I can understand what's going on. But the Philippian fragment is written to be like a book that was written during the same time as Paul. 
that the author lived during the same time. Like one of the, one of the uh, contemporaries of Paul, two of them are called Clement, Clement of, Clement of Alexander and uh, Clement of Rome. And this book is supposedly written to a Clement by a contemporary of Paul. And in the book, he talks about things. He says, oh, my dear Clement, oh, it's amazing. Christianity is popular. It's gaining more and more popularity. It's, it's amazing. There are people with donkey stickers right on the back of their donkey that says, you know, I love Jesus and says I'm a Christian, stuff like that. Christian donkey stickers right on the back of their donkeys. People just so brave. There are people that are wearing I love Jesus on their togas and walk around Everybody can see, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus. It's getting popular. There are bands that sound, I mean, you know, there's, you know, our church music. We like our church music, but there's people that they play the lyre just like the modern bands. Oh, my goodness, it sounds so good. And they got Christian words, and, and they say Christian things when they're on the stage, and they call themselves Christian bands, and it's getting popular. They're playing all over the place. I mean, they're playing in, out on the streets. They're playing near the temple. They're, they're all over the place. It's getting very popular, this Christianity. It's exciting, Clement. But, but I, heard, I heard the Romans are bringing the lions back. I don't know if it's true, but I fear, Clement, that... But if that's true, if, if the Christians are going to be thrown to the lions to be mauled in front of everyone for personal entertainment, people buy tickets to watch the Christians being mauled by lions, I'm afraid, they're Clement, that the Christianity won't be popular anymore. Before Ronald Reagan stood his ground, Russia did not tolerate Christianity. And during this time, a couple of KGB officers showed up at an underground church. And what that means is they meet in houses, you know. So they're meeting in a house, and nobody's supposed to know these Christians are having church. Somebody put a tip in, and the KGB learned of it. Two officers showed up with their guns. They entered the home and disrupted in the middle of the worship. And they could see that was happening. They locked the doors, and they said, and they blocked the doors, and they said, we are here because we, can, we know you're having church, and we're going to kill you for that. But we'll give you a chance. Those of you who are just incidentally here, you weren't here to worship, you just happened to come in, you didn't know they were going to be you know, doing this church thing, you want to admit that you're not a Christian, we'll let you out. So many of them, the majority, left the house. I'm not a Christian. I didn't know they were doing this. They left. And the KGB, after they left, they locked the door to do what they came to do. Locked the door behind them, put their guns down and said, we came to worship with you. We just couldn't risk doing it with the fake ones. Don't fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Don't get caught up in the numbers in the book of Revelation. There, Revelation is the most figurative book in the entire Bible. So there are many things when you're reading through Revelation, like, what does this mean? I don't know. It's confusing, some of the things. And there are many people that would love to steer you in their direction and tell you what it means. 
But the 10 days, many scholars will tell you that this is symbolic of a number of completion, like the number seven. And it's oftentimes connected to law, like the Ten Commandments. That's what we needed at the time, the laws of God. And so some would say that the ten might represent a number of completion with government. And it certainly could be applied here because it's their own government that's going to put them in prison, right? But whatever the case, their time of tribulation is coming, and it doesn't mean necessarily ten days. probably means a comp- the time of completion when God says, that's enough. What we do know is that none of the seven churches are in existence today that were then in existence. Yes, there are churches that bear their name today and claim that they are the church that was there, but all of them closed their doors at one point in time. What's, what's there today are restarts. So we know then that if the church was going to endure the tribulation, that tribulation time period has already passed. But at the time they get the letter, it hasn't happened yet. I hope you're tracking with me. I thought it would be a good idea to give you Webster's definition of what tribulation means. Webster's isn't always the best source to give you a definition of a biblical term, but they do a good job here. It means distress or suffering resulting from oppression or persecution. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. That is, that's hard to hear. You must be faithful even to death. Some of us are going to die. Some of us are going to die. This is going to get hard. He who has an ear, verse 11, says, Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Well, that's good news. In fact, the good news was in the thing that we kept reading in sections. I want to read it to you again. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Do you see why Jesus at the beginning said that he conquered death? Because since he conquered death, he has the right to give eternal life to whomever he chooses. So he tells them to be faithful. And he has eternal life for those who are faithful. Rich in better ways. Do you want to be rich in better ways like the church in Smyrna? I do. Five things that we can learn from our text today. Keep clinging to your strong faith. That's what the church in Smyrna is encouraged to do. Persevere. That's that that word steadfast could be put here. Be steadfast. Persevere under trials and tribulations. I'm going to tell you a story about perseverance in a little bit. Continue discernment in what is real and what is fake, and there will be fake. Stand up for what is right, lest you be complicit in what is wrong. Rest in the assurance of better days. One of my favorite scriptures is in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. I'll read it to you now. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. A friend said to me in a paraphrase of this verse, these words, and and it helps me to remember this in my mind. Very hard days, I remember this. One way or another, it's all going to work out. 
Now, the first service got this. Most of you won't, but I'll tell it to you anyway, and later you can look it up and figure it out. <clears throat> the farmer, oh, let me tell you before I talk about the farmer. If you need to make a decision during the song of decision, you can come forward if you would like, or you can talk to God during the song. Just have a little prayer between you and him. Worship team's getting in place. They're going to play a song. This is a time when, as God's trying to pull you closer to him, you reach back to him. Maybe you just sing the words of the song. Maybe you need to straighten some things out between you and God during that song. I'll be up front if you need to come forward. Just get my attention if you need me for anything. But the farmer milked the cow, and he was distracted. He had one cow, and he, he, he was milking the cow, uh, and uh, one cow for milking, at least. He milked the cow, and he set, put the cow out to pasture. It was cold, and so he hurried into the house and, and forgot to take the bucket in. The bucket of milk is just sitting right there in the barn. In this cold night, a couple of frogs decided it looked, it looked fun to get in there and swim. So they both jumped into the bucket and began swimming around and having a good old time until they got tired. You ever tread water? You know how you get tired? Oh, they're getting tired. One of them says, I can't, I can't, I can't do this. We've got we to gotta get out. So, so they both try to get out, and they can't get out. And now panic's setting in. And so they keep treading water, and one says, I, I, can't, I can't keep going. The other one says, no, no, you keep going. And, he, and, he, and the other one sinks, and he pulls him up and says, you've got to keep swimming, keep swimming. Don't give up. You know, steadfast, be steadfast, persevere. Keep going. So he's keeping going, you know, and he keeps sinking, keeps pulling back. You've got to keep going. It's all going to work out if you just keep going. And the night plays out, and the farmer goes out to milk the cow very early in the morning. Before he does, he checks the barn to see if everything's there. Oh, I left the bucket what was I thinking? He walks over to the bucket and he looks in it. And do you know what he sees? One frog sitting on butter. Let's all stand.